there, romance nerds. We're following a tradition as old as time. Or as old as the podcast, really. <laughs> because, you know, when January rolls around, we have to talk about Ruby Dixon. Woo! Woo! Let's we go! We love Ruby! Ruby, we love you. Hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York, and you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history, and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's, Let's rage! Hey, Jen. Hey, Jackie. When is a door not a door? I don't know. When it's a jar. Uh, uh, <laughs> Okay, that one was that was like I needed a second. Like, yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, thanks to the patron okay. who told me that at All the right. desk. There's no way Fair you'll enough. be listening to this podcast. I don't but actu- that's actually a pretty good way, I think, to begin the first episode of 2023. Because <gasps> we're opening a door. Oh, look at that. We are opening two new beginnings and new great things. But before we get fully into anything, I do have to issue an apology for the last episode. I made a joke about how I assumed none of our listeners churn butter while they've got an episode playing. And well, my friend Nikki texted me that she actually does make butter while streaming the podcast. So I have been put firmly in my place. I am very sorry to the butter churning community out there for not seeing you or acknowledging you. It will not happen again. So if there's any other kind of farm-related chore our listeners do while you listen to us, if you can warn me so I don't accidentally piss off like the corn huskers or like the barrel makers next. I don't know what farm people do. Uh, that yeah, it would just be really helpful, okay? So I don't make this terrible mistake again. But uh, in the future, I will try to keep my jokes to billionaires and Tom Brady in the future. See, and I was about to start singing, love is an open door. No, oh, that I was all key. That. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Anyways. I didn't know people would just make butter by, like, shaking the jar. Yeah. And that's what she does, apparently. She listens and she shakes. It's like a weird take on a shake weight. Oh. Well, hey. <laughs> sure do what you got to do, that. babes. I like it. And I think Jackie had an announcement. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so we have a favor to ask of you lovely listeners out there. There are two links in the show notes. There are two separate surveys we're going to ask you to fill out. The first one is a survey just so we can see who's actually, like, listening to the podcast since nobody wants to email me. Jackie is really hurt by that. It's fine. I understand. Maybe a survey will be easier. But we just want to see what our demographic is. It's been three years now. I can't believe it's been three years. But it's been three years, so we just kind of want to see, like, you know, who's listening? Where do you live? What's your zip code? I was Are in you my single? 20s when we started this. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so weird to think about. I had short hair. <laughs> this is crazy. We were in COVID. We were in still Rona. In COVID. We're still in Rona, but we were deep in the Rona. Um, yeah, so that's the first survey. And then the second survey is, it's called Fictional Love. And this is going to be going forward to a future episode I am planning. If you could please fill that out. It's asking you about your favorite fictional boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. And just, you know, click the link, do the thing. It'd be a great help. And maybe you'll get a shout out on the podcast. So yeah, there's that. Thank you. Well, all the practicality is over with, so I'm going to be sappy <laughs> for one more second. Aww. We are so glad to still be with you here yes. and facing down a brand new year. I'm going to be optimistic that there's going to be lots of good things ahead for all of us, but 
especially on the podcast. We've got some topics this year that we're really excited yes. to cover with you. We've got some fun surprises along the way. And I promise you, no matter what else 2023 might bring, Jackie and I will still deliver the best, <laughs> most ridiculous, comprehensive deep dives into romance yes. we can manage. And bad dad jokes. That is a raging romantics guarantee. Guarantee. T- yeah. TM? Can we trademark that? No, we can't. I don't have the money to do Never that. Never mind. But on that <laughs> note, I will be also sappy for a minute because Jen and I have been blown away by everybody this past December. We had the most listens, downloads, responses we have ever had in three years. Like, I'm bad at math. By, so, like, we doubled our usual, like, best month of listens. So thank you guys, seriously, so much from the bottom of our hearts. That was a beautiful Christmas present. Beautiful birthday present for Jen. Yes. Happy birthday no. to you. I don't want to think about how old I am. Okay. Well, her birthday's in December. So if you want to wish her a belated happy birthday. No. <laughs> or if you would just like to talk about how much you love Raging Romantics, you can email us at... Raging Romantics at nopal.org. All right. Thank you guys for bearing with us through all of the fun intro things. Yes. <laughs> Don't forget to fill out the surveys. So then let us start with what's become a fun little bit <laughs> of ridiculously love tradition for us. Tradition. January has become Ruby Dixon month Woo! because we love her too much to we shut up about Ruby! it. And why not start the new year off with something we ragefully love to talk about? Right? <laughs> exactly. If somehow you don't know about our love for Ruby Dixon, oh, because this you. must be the first episode you've ever listened to. <laughs> or you're if it learn, is, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're going to learn real quick. This whole podcast is basically an excuse to talk about her. <laughs> and to her. So forget about all of our other episode topics. We talk about Ruby Dixon and 9-11 <laughs> just so much. That's it. Romance. Hashtag because of Ruby and 9-11 probably not a good joke i'm so sorry that's okay and if you don't know ruby dixon is the pen name of an author who writes such classics like ice planet barbarians Mm. ice home Mm. and so many other paranormal and sci-fi romance some we will cover today so great jackie and i have covered her twice before on the podcast and last year we even got to interview her the scream heard kind of a little bit i got to read her answers which is still one of the highlights of my life and she said that jen did a great job died so yes oh my god how yes. am i still here it's still like i still get warm fuzzy feelings it's crazy to me ruby dixon's heard my voice and was not like god that weirdo <laughs> same <laughs> but yes ruby is definitely one of our stands um mm-hmm. if you know you know the spur the blue aliens ice mm-hmm. planet not hoth it's the series meant for all the nerds and not nerds out there thank you because i am a diehard nerd when i saw the space stuff i was like yeah and jen is not as much of a nerd as me a little bit just not a spacey nerd and she goes for the other space stuff yeah tiffany roberts lots of physical space yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh this is gonna be interesting (laughs) but this time we get to talk about something that is near and dear to my own heart as a medievalist nerd who grew up watching Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I know. Dragons! It might be winter and cold out, but unfortunately we have finally exhausted all of our Ruby Dixon Ice Planet options. For now. So yes, we are going to do a complete 180 and spend some time in the dry southern heat because yes, today we are talking Fireblood Dragon <gasps> series. Yes. And since we're hoping to talk you guys into actually reading the series and not just listening to us rant about it, the spoilers will be very minimum. Yes. And yes, this is totally out of the goodness of my heart and not because <laughs> I'm not emotionally ready yet to finish one of my favorite Ruby Dixon series. Okay? Yeah. That's spoilers it. to a That's minimum it. because That's Jen it. still has not no, finished the series. No, look, look, I had planned to finish the series over Christmas and then I got sick. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And I am mm-hmm. not going to waste Classic. this beautiful series I have not finished yet while it hurts to swallow. And on a NyQuil fever dream. Fair. Yeah. See? Fair. So, no. I had to wait. So, I have gotten through half of it. And that means, too, that you guys can't be spoiled. So, you can go ahead and read yes. after we've encouraged you to go and check her out. And it's been like a year since I finished reading the series. So... <sighs> It's not as fresh in my brain as I would like it to be. Had I known, had Jen told me what she was going we to do, you never finalized it. You never said, oh, yeah, Jackie, I'm doing the Fire of Blood Dragons. It's okay. I probably still wouldn't have reread all of them. But, you know, book number seven, still one of my favorites. Okay. Well, we'll see. Book number seven? Okay. Sorry. Yeah, book number seven, one of my favorites. Hopefully okay. I like it. I don't know. It's good. It's a female dragon. <laughs> Oh, that one. Yeah, that one yeah. I'm looking forward to. So this is also going to be a larger discussion about shifter romance and dragons mm-hmm. because I don't see how to spread those topics out in their own episode when we've already covered werewolves. But it is a very popular subgenre in romance for whatever reason. Yeah. It's weird. It was super popular when I was, I don't know, just getting into romance, yeah. I guess, in like the late 2000s. We've had mm-hmm. this discussion 50,000 like times. times. It just If you go to our show notes that you can look for Sherilyn Kenyon she's in there somewhere go to our Raging Romantics book list and you Mm -hmm. can see Sherilyn Kenyon is linked on there Um, she did this whole series as the Hunters series right yeah Um, the Dark Hunters Dark Hunters and And then Christine Fan too had her vampires right and it just kind of like spawned into this whole other shifter series with like mm-hmm. cats and tigers yeah. and bears and wolves and, and oh I my think, oh and I think too Anita Blake definitely helped with that because she had multiple were creatures in her books aside from just vampires yeah. and Charlene Harris too mm-hmm. she like because obviously she started with the werewolves and the yeah. vampires and then it spawned into like maenads and there were definitely things. a lot of authors who helped shift the tide towards that. <laughs> There's our title for the episode. Hey. <laughs> but as you guys have realized, this is all basically an excuse to talk about Ruby Dixon's <laughs> dragons, which I am not going to apologize for because you know who we are at this point. We're nerds. This we are we romance are. Yes. nerds. So I think the best part to start with is with Shifter Romance, yes. which is a very popular subgenre in indie spaces regardless. I used to see it more in mainstream paranormal, but since paranormal nowadays is more witches, it's a little rarer, mm. I say. I mean, yeah. you've seen it, right? No, it's mostly, like you said, in indie. Yeah. A Shifter Romance is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a romance story where one of the main characters can shift or turn into another animal or creature at will. So you can basically have any kind of shifter you like. I just remembered I saw something for a croissant shifter. Oh my god. Where what? he shifted into a pastry. Wait, was this like a real book? It was or a like... real book. I just Why? remembered that. Hang on. Uh, pause. That sounds like the easiest way to get yourself like killed or stepped on or it's, eaten. It's her pastry shifters. A series is her scrumptious shifters by Mia Harlan. And this is it a, is on Kindle. This is a real thing. And it's it has like a, a three point seven out of five rating. No, it's it's a real one. What is the point of turning into a croissant? <laughs> one lonely baker, three sexy oh shifters, an epic bake off. All right, well, my definition is already wrong, guys, because now we have added <laughs> baked goods to the shifter list, and here I I'm like, oh yeah, just like that. creatures. I forgot okay, about. Well, that. I am not rewriting my script. So Cres- croissants, eclairs, and cannolis. I mean, I love a cannoli. I mean, the cannoli makes sense. So, yeah. Hey. And then Claire. <laughs> the croissant's a little dry, though. I can't believe none of them turn into a cream puff. <laughs> or a jelly-filled donut. <laughs> Boston-filled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to the bad place. <laughs> I was up till three, so I think that's my only excuse. I'm not thinking straight. I have no excuse. 
Well, thank you, Jackie, for informing <laughs> us that, okay, a shifter has definitely shifted the definition already before I was even aware of it. So we're going to ignore that because I have written this based off animals. <laughs> okay, okay, we're going to stick to the animals because I'm slightly traumatized by the thought yeah, of a croissant shifter. Clearly, I have never heard of croissant <laughs> shifters. You know what is normal, though, are things like bears and large cats and dragons, as we're going to talk and about And monsters today. now. And monsters. Monsters are a little different because I feel like there's like a line between monster romance mm. and shifter. Yeah. I'm reading Lillian Lark's newest one now, which is like Entranced by the Basilisks, I think. Um, literally just came out the day we were recording mm-hmm. this and they are basilisk shifters but it definitely reads more like monster yeah. than a shifter so mm-hmm. you're gonna lead us through what that actually looks it like it's really kind of interesting just how many how much gray there is now and yeah and how much like overlap and borrowing from each other it's beautiful but it is a little hard just as librarians yeah, yeah. to try to categorize you want to catalog them okay yeah. but clearly it's a nice mix of real animals and <laughs> something more mythological or something more baked which, we're not, again, I'm not dealing with today. Hot dog. A hot dog shifter. <laughs> shifter romance is really fun because there's just so many possibilities and clearly very few <laughs> rules. But honestly, maybe we should have established some. No. No rules. No. So, Jen, in my mind, mm-hmm. shifters come from a very clear origin point, and that is werewolves. Yeah. And kind of like the mythology. And we've talked about this like yeah. so many times. We had our whole werewolf episode mm-hmm. month, which you guys should go listen to because it was a really good month. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about like the origins of werewolves and how those even gave way into the paranormal scene. So I feel like now looking at shifters, we're kind of looking at the opposite end of that spectrum. Mm, that's, a good so inter- that's an interesting point. What is the difference then between a werewolf and a shifter? I have to be honest. When I first thought about this question, my gut instinct was there's not really a difference okay yeah all werewolves are shifters but not all shifters are werewolves so it's just like whatever it just seemed a little nitpicky to get deep into it but i was thinking some more because that's what we do on this (laughs) podcast we think way too much too deeply and i am really interested in your thoughts on this okay i was like werewolves shift into wolves so basically sure they're like the same whatever and i feel like a lot of the topics we discussed in our werewolf episode can be applied to shifters sometimes okay so when you talk about the things about like transformation a lack of control over your body yeah kind of like that those horror kind of themes blah 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 some of it is shifter but i think for me the sticking point because traditionally a werewolf does not have control mm. over when they shift and shifters usually always do that's what it's supposed to be right the werewolf it's against their will it's technically supposed to be a curse if yeah. we go way back to the traditional sense yeah you know, if, if a full moon's out, you're going to shift whether you like it or not. And I rarely ever see that dynamic with shifters. Oh, right? Like I yeah. said, they control the change at will. That's a very good point. And a lot of the mm-hmm. times it's either in like high action, like yeah. high adrenaline moments or yeah. in sexual moments. Exactly. And it didn't occur to me at first because it's been so long since I've read a really tortured, out of control werewolf story. I just don't think they're as popular anymore to, no. to view the werewolf story and we went into it, so we're not going to do it again now. Go listen to that episode. But I think that's a really important point for why you can't just lump them together. Mm, but yeah. the thing is, the authors, too, I'm not saying this is their fault exactly, but they kind of borrow different categories from each other, and they don't necessarily go like with the strict definition. Right. Because I was thinking, okay, anything with where sort of implies that there's a time when they're forced to change. Like yeah. how in all of the Anita Blake books, she has all kinds of wares, like wear rats and wear swans and... You, you know, like yada yada. It's not just wolves. I know the swans are ridiculous. <laughs> not as ridiculous as a croissant. It's really, well, it's, no, okay, they're fair point. But the swans are kind of just there to be like a prey animal. So it is yeah. a little interesting to me. 
So I just looked up the origin of where because I was like, yeah, where? What does where mean? And it is from um, man, male, or person, which is a Proto-Indo-European root. Mm -hmm. So it literally just means man, wolf, yeah, person. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, English. (laughs) Thank you, etymology online. (laughs) But they all change once a month, right? And then Suki Stackhouse series. She has where tigers and where panthers. Yes. And. A lot of them can change at will, if I remember correctly. I did Google it, too. It seemed like, yeah, Quinn could have changed whenever he wanted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I get why there's confusion, because authors kind of just use these words interchangeably. Mm. All the power to them. Obsolete not going to be like, you need to stick to the rules. I don't want to be that librarian. (laughs) But it does take me some time to consider, you know, does this book belong in a where list or a shifter list? Is there a difference? Should I stop caring about this? Because nobody else thinks this way. Well, I think it depends. Like, I know my patrons for the most part. And I know the questions because I went to library school. I know Mm -hmm. what questions to ask to figure out what books they're looking for. And I won't always give a patron, say they like werewolf books i won't give them necessarily a dragon book right like my friend anna shout out to anna absolutely refuses to read any dragon shifter books really yeah what she, is her problem with dragons she doesn't like to envision it like that she doesn't like to envision it like that the, the sex but they're changed yeah i did read one book but like, you just read one book <laughs> well, it was a series of books but for the most part everybody shifts back into dra- into human, human form yeah only one book I it was like a, a laura's cape kind of a thing there was one anyways uh. yeah so anna reach out to us i will text you after this and um tell us what exactly your issue is with we would like to know i think one thing too that i think about is with the werewolf story there's almost like kind of a historical or a mythological weight behind it Mm. right you're going into this with a lot of knowledge already there's established themes story beats and universe devices yeah it's a very different thing compared to a shifter where Mm -hmm. i think authors can just go wild right they make up whatever kind of universe they like case in point ruby dixon fireblood dragons yeah there's like no foundational myths to either incorporate or ignore with dragons in the same way there are with werewolves Yes, we're going to get into dragons, have a very long myth behind them. So excited to talk about that. I just think maybe because it's different media-wise. Like, the only... I don't know what it is, but, like, it feels like werewolves are much more serious, maybe. Yeah, so you're kind of talking about the myth, because I realize what you're talking about halfway through. You're talking about the myth that we have as readers yeah. of werewolves. So yeah. when we approach a dragon or a werewolf book, we're mm-hmm. like, okay, werewolf, wolf yeah. man person thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, shift with the full moon wolf man swamp whatever we know what we're talking about but like um i'm sure we're going to talk about with the ruby dixon one they're literally aliens that came through an interdimensional portal Mm -hmm. to planet earth or to ice planet exactly so i do think there is a difference again in like the werewolf shifter thing just feels a little different yeah it's i think that's it's great it's how you get so many different kinds of dragon stories or bear clans or whatever you're into because yeah i have read dragon shifters where it's some very traditional thing they've been hidden among humans for centuries they like and that's what bear shifters too they come from berserkers and then here we got ruby dixon where she's like nope whole of the universe they're all aliens that's that's interesting too because a lot of the other like dragon shifters i've read they're the same thing they don't really rely they rely on the basic like form Mm -hmm. and like scales and fire breathing and fangs but they don't necessarily rely on that like cultural background i need to read more chinese books Mm -hmm. because i wonder if they would do that that's you know i was thinking about this going through what i've read and i did go through a period where i was reading a ton of dragon stuff yeah like the 2000s when it was popular yeah 
not a whole lot of Eastern inspired. It's still very huh. much like Welsh, Welsh, English dragons. English, yeah. I mean, we already know publishing is pretty racist. So, I mean, that's already a good reason. And, and what we have access to is yeah. strictly limited. Mm-hmm. Not strictly limited, but pretty limited. But it does seem like, even though obviously Eastern Asia has such a strong dragon myth in mythos. their stories. Yeah. yeah, mythos. Thank you. It doesn't seem like it's gone over as much huh. into our romance. Yeah, I'm thinking even like a lot of the fantasy books that I read. I'm looking at the mm-hmm. fantasy shelf right now, and I can't really. I don't know. I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan girl. I feel like a lot of that is Lord of the Rings fault. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't say fault. I kind of want to say fault, but it, it does fault. feel like. I Listen, know I love, love Lord of yeah. the Rings, but it was written by a middle-aged white man. Yeah, and yes, I know so. it's about the dangers of and the sadness of world wars and yada yada. Like I get that, but. It still does feel like that's kind of the standard for where all of our fantasy is kind of based around. For a large part. It's really only recently in the last couple of years, especially YA, where it's kind of been challenged. And it's like, no, I'm going to do this instead with fantasy. It's not going to be like all these white blonde elves mm. and kind of traditional medieval clothing and situations and yeah. magic and th- see things differently. Which is why I love seeing space dragons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you guys have any recommendations for Eastern inspired shifters because there's a lot of mythos beyond even the dragons in eastern culture let us know because jen and i would love to read something like that Mm -hmm. and i want to know if i'm wrong about it not being out yet but i think because it the the push for diversity didn't come at the same time as shifters in mainstream right no it came like what five years so you know it could be in indie spaces and i just haven't found it yet cracks knuckles goes to the google (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) Yeah. No, it's it's interesting thing to consider. Yeah. Yeah. What's next? I think too with shifters, just to kind of round it up some more. Okay. I think when people are looking for a shifter book, depending on the animal you pick or the mythological creature, there's different kinds of like aesthetics that go with that. Yeah. So if you are in the mood for like a lumberjack forest thing Bears. Exactly. <laughs> I <laughs> You knew exactly where my brain was going. Didn't even have to finish that thought. Like, like a like a uh, jaguar shifter. I would say somewhere like in the west, Mesoamerica, or, yeah, or even like too. Arizona. Yeah. So I was thinking like California for some reason, oh. but like somewhere well, western. Sit down a desert. You know, like, yeah, deserts and uh, or like if you're coming up from South America, yeah. or something like that. I was thinking too early dragon stuff. They were all the billionaires of bar- of paranormal world. Because, you know, dragons were, like, hoarders. It was them and vampires. Yeah, vampires were obviously more popular, but then you'd have dragons, and they'd be really obsessive about their hoard. And then they'd have rooms full of of gold and and jewels to, like, roll around in. Not enough of them hoarded books, though. Look, I'm fine with the gems. I'll take it. That's fine. Then you can get all the books. Mm -hmm. And then think about all the rare editions that you would have that you could then sell on for more money but the thing is the dragons don't want to sell it right they're selfish and greedy and like you're the the prized gem in their hoard i know what right authors are doing here jen's like i know what i want I okay know what I want. the dragons are like the billionaires of the world bears are the lumberjacks giant cats are a little iffier because it's been a while actually since i've seen like a jaguar or a lion i think the last one i read was a sherilyn kenyon yeah maybe and all I remember is there was like a pool scene mm-hmm. because they were tigers. And then you have people like Shelley Laurenstein who kind of take like what sounds like a ridiculous animal, honey badgers, and do a whole honey badger shifter series. And badgers. Yeah. I forgot about mm-hmm. the badgers. It's hot and badgered. 
so I think that is something special that werewolves don't have. Like werewolves, you're always going to assume, okay, they're going to live in the forest in packs and fight in. Yeah. And if you watch True Blood, then you you know, okay, so they're going to kind of live out of trailers and. Yeah. And or <laughs> hopefully not do it this way. Authors are going to be a little racist about it, mm-hmm. like with Twilight and Stephanie yeah. Meyer. <laughs> yeah. We do not support those books. Nope, not anymore. So indigenous peoples have a very deep culture, a very deep mythos of their Mm. own of shifters and um, things of that sort. But it is very taboo to talk about for their own cultural reasons. Mm -hmm. So I think when an author approaches a Native American or indigenous Mm -hmm. person's culture and writes about it like that, I think it's very disrespectful. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, too, if it's actually a real belief people have, like you can't turn that into a shifter book. Like, do whatever Bigfoot shifter stuff you want. Listen, if there's a Wendigo out there um, that is romantic, no. No, you can't no. do that. Yeah, but exactly. Something like that you can't do. No. So, I mean, that is definitely a there line. There are lines. Yeah. It, okay, fair enough. There is a rule. Yeah. Please don't take real things. Don't do, like, a Jesus Christ shifter. Don't do, like... <laughs> it's a fish. Don't do I'm a sorry. Wendigo or, like... <laughs> oh, You're right. I think there is definitely a rule and vibes. I will steal that word. <laughs> Some things you can't touch. But I think overall shifters, yeah, it's it's an aesthetic to me, too. Yeah. You know what? Very I much. am tired and cold. Where is my bear? Where can I just go <laughs> curl up in a den? Yeah. Where is my gold hoard? I'm poor. Yeah. And so on and so forth. <clears throat> well, that's interesting, too, because dragons, typically, when you think about dragons, I think about caves. And that's... <laughs> really? Well, okay. yeah, because the myth of the that. Welsh dragon, they live in a cave and there's a mm. red dragon and a white dragon fighting each no, other. No, that's fair. And most of the dragon books I read, yeah, they're in caves. Yeah. <laughs> it's only more... It's not very a cozy setting. Ones. They have, like, mansions and yeah. fancy places. Ice caves. They mm. have ice caves. That's true. But thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Because I do want to mention, hey, you know what? Dragon shifting books have been around at least since the 2000s. Oh, okay. So I think that might have a little bit to do with it is we're kind of set in our way like there hasn't been that much chance to kind of explore what dragon shifters can be because they Mm. haven't been around that long right honestly i was surprised by that number i'm still hoping i found the right book so email me if you if you've read them in the 90s because i would have loved to have known what that that looked like was that the ga aiken Mm -mm. oh this is what i want to talk about because i don't know if i trust my research here i might might have been a bad librarian so then jen since dragons are relatively new Mm -hmm. what were we talking about beforehand obviously fantasy was a huge thing but like where did it come from well i think you would know i do (laughs) (laughs) i just want you to talk (laughs) dragons the myth have been around for thousands of years and more cultures than i would have expected honestly because i was dumb i just totally forgot how many dragons there are maybe it's dumb to admit to you but yeah they're prevalent everywhere for about you can find versions of them just about anywhere, everywhere, but obviously tweaked. So some fly, some breathe fire, some crawl around in the ground, some have horns, and on and Zerns. on and on. There's like versions of everything. Some are more crocodile, more more serpents. So there's myths about Asian dragons, African dragons, European dragons, and there's even an Arctic one that's pretty close, oh. despite not a lot of lizards liking snow. Yeah, it's like some kind of little serpent demon. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's actually, it did sound a little cute. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon, so, I don't do that tongue thing. <laughs> Historians really disagree on where dragons come from, especially considering how many cultures have some kind of mythological creature that's dragon-like. Other theories I found have been pretty interesting. Do you want to share all of your thoughts and theories on why dragons are so prevalent in myth and culture? So I know this will come as a surprise to you since I have confessed to being a Sasquatch believer. I know that dragons, sadly, are most likely not real. I mean, they could still be interdimensional beings. Mm -hmm. Ruby Dixon has given us an opening there. You never know what's going to be on the wormhole. But um, they came from dinosaurs. 
Yeah, no, actually, that's absolutely right. That's what I've found, too, in my research, was there's quite a few theories that historical people just got real confused by some fossils. Listen. It is hard to know how to put them together. People struggled with this for a long time. Our generation, our people still struggle with evolution. Yeah, they don't know how to put stuff together. Bones are not always found in a nice little neat configuration. Mm. If the animal died violently or if something chewed it up after it died, if there was a storm or some other natural occurrence, the bones could be scattered anywhere, everywhere. Have you ever Googled how Victorians used to put dinosaur bones back together? (laughs) It's pretty entertaining. They had no (laughs) idea what they were doing. It really was just some like awful... I can't even think of a joke. It was Amalgamation so bad. of I don't even know. It was bad. If you Google some pictures, I'm like, I don't know how you thought that went together. But yeah, if you find a T Rex skull just lying in, and you don't know what a T Rex yeah. is, you've never heard of it, and you sure. see this giant fanged mm-hmm. skull, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. what is that? It's a beast. What kind of beast is it? Dragon. Where does the word dragon come from, Jen? I didn't look it up because I know you would. I will. I was something boring, honestly, when I looked. But Adrian Mayer, so she is somebody who has this argument. Of on top of dinosaur bones, you know, there's also a lot of animals that have gone extinct that could explain some of it. So there's mm. a type of massive giraffe that could have confused really? ancient explorers. Yeah, because if you think about how some of the, the depiction of dragons have like the very long neck, yeah, and you got this weird looking giraffe thing, considering how <laughs> massive animals used to be, yes, it could have been slobs. yeah, like this doesn't fully explain all the stories because there are areas of the world that are not very fossil rich, but it is a good theory for I think some of the areas. Mm. Which so I really like. The word dragon, mm-hmm. um, long way around, comes from Greek, dracon, which meant, uh, D-R-A-K-O-N, which meant serpent or giant sea fish, mm-hmm. um, which was most likely a connection of Proto-Indo-European to see and uh, to be visible, mm-hmm. to see clearly. Yeah, because they said it was something about like the eyes. Because they have giant eye holes. Yeah. Because yeah. usually when I think of dragons, I do think of that like the glare yeah it's interesting though that it's like a sea monster Mm -hmm. but i guess if you look at the culture greece is near the ocean and there probably would have been a lot Mm -hmm. of like um i just saw things sorry turn signal (laughs) i just saw a video that's talking about how we don't know how large anacondas actually grow to Mm -hmm. because we've never caught what can be a fully mature anaconda Mm -hmm. so i mean it's easy to think about that as being like yeah that's a sea serum but that's a dragon there has got to be stuff in the amazon that would oh yeah probably make me die of fright totally Mm -hmm. i know snakes are one and again like i've talked about the deep ocean before like there's like giant squid the one giant dead squid that washed up oh god yeah i can't even imagine what else was down there like there is still definitely stuff we don't understand and goes double for things like maybe sasquatch lives in the ocean no it doesn't there's no sasquatch i know that much at least (laughs) yes all right so we got giraffes we have fossils I have read also that, you know what else? Some researchers say a lot of dragon folklore is based off extinct types of crocodiles. Oh. Which could be the answer for some of the stories, especially in areas near swamps. Or if you compare, oh. yeah, if you compare certain Asian dragons to a crocodile, I could see that makes sense. It's like the bent elbows and the... Exactly. Asian style dragons thing. don't fly. They're four-legged and walk on the ground like a, like a crocodile. Yeah. And some of their faces remind me of like a croc snout. Yes. You know, when you look at the drawings. It's like reptilian. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we wouldn't know because the... the there's multiple kinds of crocodiles. Like, they're probably gone by now. It's funny now to think of the fact that we, as modern scientists, now acknowledge that birds like the chicken and yeah. the ostrich and the emu are closer descendants of the dinosaur mm-hmm. than, the like, nuts. the reptiles. <laughs> yeah. And just imagine a dragon like an ostrich oh, or a chicken. I'm so glad I didn't look back then. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking a lot about extinct animals, but even for animals that haven't gone extinct yet, if you consider animals like Komodo dragons, iguanas... Yeah. 
other types of lizards. Like, that, Komodo dragon is literally named a dragon. Literally, yeah, I know. But storytellers might have made them larger than life. Gotcha. So things get lost in translation all the time, especially if you're trying to describe something that no one's ever seen before. Mm. A lot of the animals that Marco Polo tried to describe in his travels did not match the actual creature he saw. People are either mistaken by things or they exaggerate for their own purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, David E. Jones is somebody who's proposed, and I'm interested what you hear about this. Okay. He has proposed that humans have inherited like this genetic fear of certain animals, yeah. like lizards, big birds, or cats. Mm-hmm. So fear of snakes is a very common fear for people, even if you don't live in an area with dangerous snakes. It's kind of like one of those irrational fears, mm-hmm. just because like, they're creepy and you don't like them. Yeah. Like, I'm not a fan. No, there is anthropological proof of this, um, and I guess more like biological genetic proof of this, because of the fact that as humans, we evolved, we did evolve as prey creatures, even though now technically we're like apex predator, just because, you know, we have the biggest brain, Mm -hmm. not necessarily do we have the biggest brain, but anyways, um, we were evolved from prey creatures, and so we acknowledge, just as prey creatures today still acknowledge fears and mm. things that could be dangerous to them. That's really interesting because everybody who was like, no, that's stupid, was like, no, there's a lack of evidence of this inherited fear he thinks we have. No, it's in your lizard brain. I don't know. Some people are like, no, there's not. And other people are like, yes, there is. Because I guess it's been proven in monkeys, but yeah. not in humans. Yeah. Monkeys also have a fear of deep water. Mm. So your fear of deep water could very well See, be traced back sense. to our ape pre- uh ancestors and it also makes sense yes because there's giant squids down there and also i don't know why people are more scared of barracudas by the way so those are some of the theories that i have read about why dragons could be as widespread as they are because definitely not a thing i thought about until i started this so that was interesting for me some of the stuff makes sense but it doesn't work for every myth unfortunately because they're just everywhere i do wonder if some of this hasn't just been passed from culture to culture and spread that way oh totally i mean you know nobody wants to say oh it's not the fun fossils it's just because like this traveler said this to this guy and this guy and when i was a real weird game of telephone (laughs) before it was even invented also these are just really entrenched myths for a lot of people Mm. dragons or dragon-like creatures have been mentioned in so much folklore and myth and religion that i think it's almost something that's been taught to appeal to people yeah because when i think about ordering children's books for the pop-up there's so many that are dragons dragons love tacos yeah like it just feels like it's something we're actually teaching to our kids to not even fear anymore but just this like kind of it's like an inherited mythos yeah a little bit so I feel like it's probably been like that forever. Yeah. Because when you think of myths and creatures, like it's a fun one to talk about. It's a massive flying creature that burns fire. That we don't have to be scared of because we know doesn't exist. that yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's just really fun to talk and write about. I feel like people don't acknowledge that. Like when you look at other kinds of mythological creatures, like sure, there's goblins, but like nobody actually likes to talk about goblins. I do. Not outside of Labyrinth. <laughs> I like goblins. <laughs> Goblins of Bellwater is Look, a really I did good not, book. I did not have to buy a goblin children's book. No. I had to buy multiple dragon I think books. goblins can be quite scary. Yeah. And, di- and dragons, I feel like they've watered them down enough where, sure, you can have like early scary House of the Dragon kind yeah. of dragon where they eat everybody. Or it could be more of like a cute little toothless. You just made a Game of Thrones reference. I did. I'm I don't so watch the show, you. but I watch the gifts. Okay, fair. Like, fair. I'm not ever going to watch the show, but I am kind of curious what's going on. So, no, I, I watch the gifts and I look up the spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, you won't watch a TikTok that I send you. I'll send you more House of the Dragon TikToks. No, I can't help what I find interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I will get you. And the gifts are not videos. I also wonder too if it's again our generation. I keep saying that, but like we grew up on like Puff the Magic Dragon. I actually have never seen Puff. Um, what was the one? Um, 
It was kids. Dragon Tales. Dragon Tales. Do you remember Dragon Tales? Vaguely. Okay, so there's that. Okay, I'm disproving my point. You know what I'm thinking, too, is Quest for Camelot had a dragon. (gasps) That was a happy dragon, but then also... There were mean dragons. Technically, though, Sleeping Beauty... Oh, that's true. As a dragon. And then uh, if you ever saw Swan Princess, yes. he transforms into yep. a dragon. Yep. Like, it's still everywhere because it's just, just a, it's a very easy story device, I think. If you're telling a story, I mean, there's it's like... It's one of those tropes yeah. that... Or is it a trope or a motif? I can't remember I now. It's like but it's one of those... Technically, motif. it's a motif. Yeah. yeah. It pops up when we instantly yeah. know... What it is. Dragon. Mm-hmm. And while we may not have cultural reference, like we talked about at the top of the episode, like we do for werewolves, we still are like, oh, okay, dragon. Dragon bad. In a romance, dragon good. <laughs> that sort of thing. It's interesting that you mentioned Disney because Disney obviously evolved from mostly... European mm-hmm. folktales, um, the Grimm's Brothers, yeah. that sort of stuff, as we talked about in our retellings episode. Um, and none of those had dragons. No. Until Disney. Thank you, Mouse. Maybe. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they changed, like, Rapunzel from an, the, it was an ogre, was the mean lady. Remember? <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did the, um, in Sleeping Beauty, what did the evil queen, she didn't transform into anything. Did she? Oh, wait, no, I got my myths mixed up. Sorry. Okay. Rapunzel was a witch. Yes. Sleeping Beauty was an ogre. Oh, okay, okay. And gotcha. the very original. Right, right, okay. Like, the mother-in-law was an ogre who wanted to eat the kids. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Which interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. I got confused because of the same. Okay. okay, sorry. They're both blonde. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the same thing. But speaking about romance, I found it was kind of interesting, too. There's actually a few stories where dragons conceived yes. children with human women. Yes. So even before we got into it with Ruby Dixon, it's been a thing for thousands the of Greeks. years. The Greeks. Yeah, I can't say I have found any really where um, they could shift back and forth the way they do in romance. But there are a few kings that link their lineage back to having started with dragons. Isn't it like Kaon? Isn't that one of the kings, the Greek kings? Well, I was thinking uh, uh, Chinese king or Chinese oh, emperors. Yes, yes, yeah. that's true. I've I saw about a that. lot of them uh, that could were like, oh, yeah, I'm a dragon. Yeah. And there were a lot of stories, too, about a dragon passing a woman and like tapping her and she yeah. was suddenly pregnant. Like all those kinds of like. Those kind of myths. There wasn't any myths of like, well, she had sex with a dragon. Wink, it wasn't wink, like nudge, Greek. nudge. She touched <laughs> her like, shoulder. It wasn't like Europea or something. But unfortunately, there were no real love stories that I found. But I still thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, it was like a topic for some people. Yeah. Of like, here are these little dragon babies. That is interesting. Yeah. And look, we're just picking up the torch where they dropped it. What happened to the dragon babies after? Were they killed? Some of them... Depending on the story, like some of them did go on to become leaders. That's why, like, oh, I'm the oh, emperor and I'm the yeah. Emperor. Okay, okay. There's this one story where, so she got touched by a log while she was in the river, and then she suddenly got pregnant with ten babies, and then realized, like, hey, the log is actually a dragon when it transformed into a dragon. Once the babies were grown up, she introduced them to the dragon, and I think the dragon ended up taking the one son who was not scared of it. Oh. And, like, I can't remember the whole story. Oh. I was kind of skimming, trying to decide if I was going to talk about it. So It started off like Zeus, and then it yeah. got better. Yeah. Sort so, of. Yeah. I can't remember how it ended. Okay. Like, he could end up eating him. But I think it was something where, like, no, he's going to go and be a... I think he was ended up being a king of something. He took, oh. like, the one that was the bravest. Oh, well, that's cool. Out of all of his children. I like that. Yeah. And then there was... Oh, what was the other one? like that there's a whole section of wikipedia i don't <laughs> normally wic- uh, recommend wikipedia but i do start there sometimes yeah it's a good like, jumping off point yeah and they did have a whole nice section of like oh these are all the stories about you know children mm. conceived by dragons it just made it pretty easy okay thanks so hey i love being helpful <laughs> <laughs> sure 
So now that we've got kind of a very brief, weird overview of dragons, <laughs> if we can weird. bring it back to romance. Yes, please. please. You're sounding like me today. <laughs> it's okay. I have to be honest. I had a really hard time finding anything too solid about how or when dragon shifter romance actually started. I feel like a very bad librarian today. I did use novelists to try to figure out the earliest one, but I think maybe our terms for them have shifted. Mm. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. I kept trying things like dragon shifter or dragon transformation or dragon yada yada. But it just was, I wasn't getting great results. And that's how I, I, I keep thinking like, it kind of makes sense that the first dragon shifters appeared in, two, in the 2000s. But tell me if you agree with this. The earliest one I found, again, thinking that I am wrong, was Katie McAllister's You Slay Me, which is from her Iceland Grey, which is in 2004. And the hero of that one wasn't a dragon. No, he does. He transforms into a dragon. Oh. So like in that sense of what we're talking about. Okay. And that was what I found out a novelist. I'm thinking maybe it makes sense because, okay, vampires were really huge in the 90s. I'm just thinking if I'm Katie McAllister, I would be talking about that all the time if I invented the dragon shifter genre. I also have run into this problem with novelists. If you're not familiar with novelists, it's a resource that librarians can use. And I think the general public can use it, too. Yeah, you You, you just have to go through You just have to use your Mm -hmm. library. Um, Visit Noble for more information. Um, And you can basically, you can track down specific genres, tropes. You can filter it by year. You can sort it. So that's how we tend to try to track down the origin yeah. of things but the caveat with novelist is it doesn't have everything and it doesn't do a lot of indie pubs yeah. now it does because most indie pubs will have an isbn mm-hmm. but back in ye olden days yeah. they didn't always have isbns but it kind of made sense too because it was published in 2004 yeah and which is there, rise of paranormal there was a whole flood of dragon stuff that came out in 2005 so it was yeah. almost like they were copying her yeah but, like, I went through her whole website. I kept Googling. I couldn't find anything where in an interview she was like, oh, yeah, I did. I was the first dragon person. Yada, yada. Or, like, oh, this is my inspiration. Yada, yada. Like, so I don't know. I don't want to totally pin it on her. You know, now that you've said case. that, I feel like I have read an older book where it wasn't a dragon, but it was a vampire who could take a dragon form or something like a dragon. I feel like I read something like that. And it was an older book. But is that the same thing as shifting if you could form? But you just- can shift forms. Yeah, but is he, like... I feel like when I think of a dragon shifter, it's like, all right, I'm part human, part dragon. I, like, identify as a dragon. Yeah. That sounds like maybe he just, the dragon was, like, useful. It might have been a Dracula retelling, now that I think yeah. about it. But that could very well be, I mean, mm-hmm. I would still consider that a vampire book yeah. and not a dragon shifter book. But Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, personally, for me, I was so curious about, well, where did this even come from? It does kind of feel like a natural progression of paranormal as we yeah. go along, from vampires to werewolves to okay well what else can we have werewolves turn into oh hey let's do these animals well the animals are cool but like what about these mythological creatures yeah it makes a lot of sense so i don't think you have to be like a brain surgeon to figure out hey we're we're dragon or something it's interesting too that dragons have been like the most prevalent mythological creature to shapeshift into Mm -hmm. our yeah nobody else wants to shapeshift into medusa or something no i mean i've read a couple centaur um, ones i haven't done any like phoenix though i think i read a firebird i've read harpies I've read a lot of like classic mm-hmm. literature, especially Russian literature. That's the Firebird yeah. Shifter, um, and I think I've read a couple romances the Firebird. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't think. It's really, really dragon. Yeah, I can't. Nobody's like a Chimera. Chimera. Yeah, whatever. Nobody's done a unicorn that I can think <laughs> of. Which, come on, it writes itself, folks. But I think if you want a horse, you do centaur. Nobody Those are actually really wants fun. a horn growing out of their forehead. I mean, mm. I can think of some people who would. 
so this is a very long way to say you know what i love katie McAllister. i'm not trying to shade her at all i've i've read this series too many times in high school when it first came out in the 2000s i just i don't know i couldn't find any reviews either there was like oh this is the first dragon book i've ever read like i don't want to totally say she was the first because again if i I was katie McAllister, i would constantly be like yes i invented this i know pay me money i would would i would pull a you an would. Omegaverse thing. <laughs> to but also at the same time, I don't think that Katie McAllister, as much as we love her, Jen, I yeah. don't think she had as much pull as the other That's authors true. who really took it, like Sherilyn Kenyon mm-hmm. or G.A. Aiken. I, I, I'm curious. This is a little sidetrack. Okay. But I almost feel like because she this did whole write. Is sidetrack. That's fair. I almost feel like because she was like a lighter, more humorous take on this mm, yeah. harder paranormal, I don't know if people took her as seriously. Very much. Which I agree. sucks because I love her as an author. I have read all of her dark ones and yeah. her her dragon stuff, and I talk about the video game one like all the time. Blow it's me so down. So good. Yeah, I feel like she is in kind of that that space, but I don't know if she was taken as seriously because it's like it wasn't as dark, it wasn't yeah. as serious, it wasn't as hard. It, like it also is an interesting time frame if we're looking at it in the larger publishing mm-hmm. world because dragons so at that time would have largely been in the fantasy sphere, yeah. fantasy sphere. So That's maybe hard people to say. just like disregarded it. Yeah. I don't and know, then, but it's weird because immediately after that, there is a whole flood yeah. in like 2005, 2006. That's when like the J.A. Aikens, the Gina Showalters, the Stephanie Rowe, the Allison James, the, the Shanna Abe, Abe, that's when they start coming out with their own dragon books and it does become like a noticeable subgenre in mainstream. And I hate to keep saying our generation, <laughs> but keep talking about my generation. Um... We grew up reading dragon books in books like Aragon and um, not Wings of Fire because it hadn't come out yet, but like similar books like that. And so by the time you and I, our age group, got to reading romance much too early, these were the books that we could naturally kind of gravitate towards Mm -hmm. as much as I gravitated gravitated towards cowboys. Your horses. My horses. I could gravitate towards dragons because I'd grown up reading fantasy and the Aragon series had been so popular Gosh, I don't even remember. I think the first one came out in 1999. I think that's too early. That's probably too early. Yeah. I was in seventh grade when I read the first book. Math. Math is hard. Jenna's Googling. All right. Say it confidently. It was 2005. Okay. So the first Aragon book came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's interesting that it came out in the same time frame. Mm-hmm. See, so you can't even blame it on Aragon. No. But, I mean, there were other dragon books that we grew mm-hmm. up reading before that, so... Interesting. I don't know. I feel bad. I feel like I don't have concrete answers for you guys, but and you would think it'd be easier because it's the two thousands. It's not that far away. But Jackie's right. A lot of indie books have been lost. Yeah. Maybe if I looked through like a Laura's cave or somewhere else, I'd be like, oh well, there's the dragon stuff. Yeah. Actually, let me. When did that? I was obsessed with this dragon book. I should not have been obsessed with <laughs> at that age. And this was before we were tracking things on like Goodreads yeah. or anything like that. Um, Dragon's Kiss from Shadow of the Dragon <gasps> came out. Wait. No, you know what? This again. This came out two thousand four, but I'm pretty. But the other one came out like in October. This one came out in November. But this was in Alora's Cave, so there must have oh. been some indie stuff going on. That's Maybe so Katie McAllister was inspired by, or somebody else. What was the other one that we were just talking about? Um, we were talking about a trope. It was one of mine. It was witches. Started coming out right around the same time frame. It's like 2000. I'm yeah, confused 2000. what you're asking. What, which book like came the, out? I'm just interested that all these tropes. It's, it's a larger picture. Larger mm-hmm. picture here. All these um, tropes, these subjects, started coming out around the same time. I know we talk about 9/11, but it's really interesting <laughs> that like dragons, witches. I'm sure if we looked at like fae and elves and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff in romance, it would kind of be around the same time frame. 2004, 2005. Yeah. I wonder why. What's the reason? 
Well, I guess again, if we're thinking about how long it takes <laughs> the publishing, to publish, yeah. it would that if nine eleven caused any kind of weird ripples in publishing, that's yeah. when we'd start to see them. Yeah, that's true. Three so, to four years. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I don't know. I'm still thinking Katie McAllister, but I'm like, there must have been something else. I know it seems wrong, but Jen, I'm going to confidently say you were right. I don't think I was, but get I that in writing because I'll probably never say it again. Oh, <laughs> you will. I'm right lots of times. You I'm right are. all the time. Mm. But I accept about reading Wouldn't that, go that dragon book. I was, I was probably a little young. Yeah. For if you guys can dragon. think of uh, any other books that came out before then that you are aware mm -hmm. of, because like even with the medieval that was so popular in yeah. the 1980s, I am sure that there was some sort of dragon, not a shifter. But there must have been some sort of dragon you know something. What? Sometimes that confuses me, though, because they'll give them a dragon nickname, the knights. Yeah. Because that happened a couple of times in novelists where it's like, yeah. oh, the Lord Dragon is going to go yes. get his lady. Yeah. It's like a nickname and not he's going to actually morph into a dragon on the battlefield. It's yeah. just he's such a terrible guy. That's because it was a, a military yeah. name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just figured he sucked. <laughs> he, like, <laughs> committed a lot of war crimes. That Probably that, too. To be the dragon. Yeah. But interesting so now that i i think i'm done dragging this all out <laughs> are you hey we'll see but i think it's time to finally get to the meat of the episode now that we've okay. got this foundation ruby dixon yes! ruby dixon released fire in his blood the first in the fire blood dragon series in 2017 she said in the author's notes that it was a plot she worked on years ago, wasn't happy with, so she fixed it up during a break between Barbarian books. She thought there'd be at least four. And the series just finished this year with book 10. With the possibility for more. Possibility, yes. On her website, she said there could be room for more. So we'll see maybe 10, question mark. Who knows? Mm. But let's set the stage. Okay, I'm down. Oh, 2016. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. In 2016, <laughs> a giant <laughs> hole in the sky known as the Rift opens up and crazed, confused dragons pour through, attacking everything in sight. It's mass destruction, and within a few months, civilization as we know it is over. If you weren't one of the millions killed by the dragons or the chaos afterwards, you were either forced to roam outside where you could be attacked at any time by dragon or human, or give up your rights to live in corrupt forts run by militia more than willing to trade favors mm. for protection and food. Mm -hmm. The dragons are still crazed and driven mad by this new world they found themselves trapped in, attacking forts, and still spraying fire on anyone unlucky enough to be caught outside. Yeah. It's seven years later when the story starts in Fire in His Blood. Claudia has been abandoned outside as a human sacrifice for a dragon. She thinks she's about to be eaten. And if you know Ruby Dixon, you know she's about to be. <laughs> yes, because of course she's actually the dragon's mate not his next meal so the fireblood dragon series has all of the amazing ruby dixon touches that hopefully you loved in ice planet barbarian but in a post-apocalyptic world i'm trying really hard not to think about how this story basically takes place in that's what i was just doing math for it was yeah, like no, it takes place in this year. 2023 yeah well luckily we did not have that kind of chaos uh, in 2016. We did not have dragons explode from the that sky. Is, I mean, something else happened mm -hmm. in 2016. <laughs> but that's what I was, oh, 2016, about a couple minutes ago. So, yeah. So we've got a really interesting world building happening that is not heavy enough to turn off my interest, but enough to really build the world and mm -hmm. make me very glad that this is not the Earth I live in. Yes. Thank you very much. Obviously, this whole world is based on Earth, just a very destroyed one. We get some flashes of the dragon's home planet, but not enough to be overwhelming. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. And I kind of like, too, seeing the destroyed world through these heroines' eyes. Yeah. Of trying to kind of recognize what things they're talking about are, or like... D describing how oh like things are growing over nature is reclaiming the land and 
this natural landmark is totally overgrown and destroyed. Like, it is kind of cool to see it from that viewpoint. It's a little sad, but kind of cool. Yeah, if you've ever seen Reign of Fire mm. um, with Christian Bale, that is very much so, like, how I was envisioning this world. Kind of mixed with Book of Eli, like, yeah. deserts everywhere. I was thinking a lot of Walking Dead. Yeah. Because I was obsessed with that show for a minute. This and it's set in Texas. Yeah, it is. It's in the South. Oh, okay. I figured she just wanted to do something totally opposite from ice. She got well, tired I, of being I mean, in the yeah, snow. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but the heroes are basically the barbarians, but with scales, which is really fun. We've got more faded mate tropes going on here too. But instead of responding to a cutie, <laughs> the dragon's response is to scent. So as we move through the books, we find out that the dragons aren't actually violent because they want to be, but because the scent and the earth makes them confused and insane. Mm -hmm. They do not like the way humans smell. No. And then there's also the atmosphere because mm -hmm. of the electromagnetic pulse yep. that lives in the atmosphere. It just mm -hmm. messes with their brain it chemistry. Does. They made a good point in one of the books because there is this mind meld kind of a thing that dragons have where they talk to each other telepathically and to their mates telepathically. And something about how they are too close to each other just drove them even more crazy because I think the electro go magnet thing you just talked about like really messed up with their brain yeah that's interesting they say it too so their home world must be huge compared mm -hmm. to the size of earth that's what it sounded like and i don't think there was as much stuff in the home world yeah no it was definitely desert, like desert fantasy civilization mm -hmm. i know in the fifth book i just read they did make a point of being like there's like really nothing there not only because of the world but because of the solar saladorians yes. who have kind of taken everything over and enslaved them and used That's up all the resources good point to bring up because there are bad guys yeah there are plenty of bad guys oh this yeah. is not a nice book no and book 10 which is the last one ruby talks about it it gets very dark very heavy there's a lot yeah. of stuff that goes on even book two like it's pretty dark i had to dnf book two when mm -hmm. i read it the second time because it was very triggering i have to say there is a lot of it's realistic in that okay the world is dead there's not no everybody currency. helps each other. There's no economy. Yeah. Might equals right. Mm -hmm. Might equals power. There's a lot of trading for things that. And women do not say. have as much uh, say yeah. in they, really anything. I think it's the fourth book. They do make a big point of being like, you know, women's rights slowly get er eroded where it's like, all right, we're going to blame you if you get hurt because of how you're dressed or because you're going out without a protector. Yeah. We're going to cut your rations if you don't have a protector. Yeah. If you get murdered, we're going to look the other way because you don't count as much as one of these men. Uh, they take full advantage because it's very dangerous outside. The way it works is because the, the dragons are driven so insane by scent. They're either trying to destroy you because, you know, they're just in so much pain and they're so confused by this earth. Or because they get kind of a wisp of scent of their mate. Mm -hmm. And that drives them even crazier to try to get to that woman. You know what I love, Jen? What do you love? That they fly her underwear in book one. I know. <laughs> It's like Some summer camp like gone right. I know. Some of the stuff, like, it's funny, but it's also very embarrassing. And, like, the other one, too, where she drops her underwear, too, for a dragon to come and find yes. her because she really wants... Oh, the sister, right. With the sister because she really wants, like, a real life for herself yeah. and she doesn't want to be stuck in this place all the time. So, yeah, she drops her underwear and the dragon finds her and, like, stalks around and waits to, like, snatch, snatch her up her. when she can. So this, the right scent, and there's only one scent, right? Because we're still going with the faded mate kind of a thing. The right scent brings them back to some kind of sanity, but it isn't until their chosen fate accepts their fires, quote unquote, that they're fully out of the danger zone. 
and, and like obviously fires is a sex thing yeah like i don't think right. i need to tell you that it's, i've never read this in a dragon book before where it's an actual bite that yeah, they give usually the bites are werewolves things yeah and it was almost um like i said i'm reading that basilisk book now and i haven't gotten to the biting part yet mm-hmm. but it's it's very like snake like because he's yeah. basically injecting mm-hmm. they're basically injecting their mates with venom yeah and book seven minor spoiler coming up um because it's a female dragon Mm -hmm. it's always the male dragon who has to initiate the bite and so the male is human in book seven yeah but because he's had relations with the female dragon he is able to minorly shapeshift into dragon form and bite her oh oh okay yeah i'm gonna have to see how i feel when i read that one it it was done very well it was good okay yeah okay it's one of my favorites in the series oh good okay I'm excited to read that one then. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so going back, I, I want to talk about the bad guys for a minute. Okay. It was really interesting to me that Ruby Dixon brought in this outside element beyond just mm-hmm. we're at subsistence levels in this world. Like, we are surviving daily. Like, yeah. tasks are hard. And, and normally in a romance book, like, that would be enough. Yeah. That would be enough for the plot, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. Ruby goes, oh, no, I'm mm-hmm. going to introduce villains. Yeah, and so beyond just the human villains, the human bad guys, you also have the Salatorians. Mm-hmm. That's not how you say them. They're the bad guys from the dragon's homeworld, yeah, basically. And one of them gets introduced into the human world, into yeah. Earth, and he is trying to control the good dragons, the red dragons, mm-hmm. um, and uh, basically take over Earth. Right, is what he's trying to do. And a lot of stuff goes on. The rift starts, like, decaying. So things are coming in through the rift. And they have mm-hmm. to, like... It's it's a lot that I really appreciated as a heavy mm-hmm. sci-fi and heavy fantasy reader. She always ups the stakes. Yes. It's a very dramatic story. It can be intense at times. Because the plot... It's really similar, I found, to the Tiffany Roberts series. Where it's, mm. like, things constantly get unlocked like a video game. Oh, where you get to this level. Point. And you find out more of the history. You find out more of what the villain's motivations are. You get, like, more of these pieces of knowledge. Especially as you meet a dragon who's maybe a general for him. You meet another dragon who was forced to do this other thing. And his memories are slowly yeah. starting to come back. It is, like, a really nice progression. Yeah. For what the ultimate thing of is where it's like, okay, well, the rift is opening. Like Jackie said, more terrible things are going to come out. They have it's to gonna close be, it. It's going to be like enemies and friends working together. Yeah. And I will say that, so it's a 10 book series. I think that the series on earth itself is complete. It ends in like a very final part okay. and with a very satisfactory ending. Um, but Ruby has introduced the dragons onto Ice Planet, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, the Ice Home, so it's the spinoff from Ice Planet Barbarians is where the dragon comes in. I really love how she just links all of her worlds together. Yes, and it's yeah. so interesting because, okay, so minor spoilers for the whole like Ruby universe here. Um, on Ice Home, the dragon does not have the same thing with his brain like he mm-hmm. wakes up he's totally lucid but it's because he's been a gladiator right in other worlds so he's already like mm-hmm. off world and he came in in human form so he's not like in dragon form there is one of the books where there is a dragon who came through in human form in and fireblood dragons and he cannot shift mm-hmm. because then he will lose control yeah so that's like a whole part of that series and then you also get these other bits i sound like a total geek right now <laughs> and i'm like doing the hand gestures and everything but um you come into ice home and they start dropping these little hints which is absolutely genius for mm-hmm. ruby and she's like oh yeah earth blew up mm-hmm. and i was stuck on that for a really long time and then she, and she was like no it was just the rift and everybody lost contact with earth mm-hmm. because of the rift and just all these little things that she kind of peppers yeah. throughout and you're like whoa look at you genius <laughs> she's just uh, we just, just love, love her, her so okay much. she's so smart <laughs> mm-hmm. i want to be a rubyite 
We are Rubyites. <laughs> I think we are some of the forerunners. Good. I want to be head of the fan club. I'm going to... I I think there are people who have beat us to that. Okay, fair. I don't actually make anything. Yeah. But I talk I, about her a lot. Maybe I will. I crochet now, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to know that the series did kind of conclude satisfactory because that sounds like a safe series to start to me you're not gonna be on a cliffhanger yes because yes. that was one of the reasons why i stopped was like okay i sped through the first three and then so i just get too excited i kind of have to wait because it, it hadn't come out yet and it probably would have been different if it had been out because i would have just like bam 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 just got them all out yeah but with that waiting period i have to be like okay i really love the series i don't want it to go too fast let me take like a couple years to read it <laughs> And I like you, it too much. And you don't have to have read Ice Planet or Ice Home no. to understand what's going on. And what I like, you do have to read this in order, I would say. I yes. think this would be hard to do. But what is nice is she actually puts a summary in the beginning. Yes. Which I'm so appreciative of. What's some, gone on. Yeah, some authors don't do that. And it's so frustrating to try to remember what did happen in book two. Yeah. Like, just tell me. Yeah. I would love to remember every single word you write, Ruby. And as much as I love you, I just can't because my brain is full of other stupid things. There's a lot of your books out there, man. <laughs> And I have other things I need to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Like how to get home, <laughs> how to make my cookies. You can tell like, me how to make your cookies. No. That is a secret I will go to to the grave. And then part of my funeral activities will be who gets that recipe. It's going to be me. It's going to be a game. You have to beat the game. Okay. okay. You have to win. Okay. I'm it's a It's a whole thing. We're not going to discuss that in the podcast, okay. but I do okay. have lots of plans for my funeral if I die young. <laughs> okay. Got it. Noted. So I will say as one last thing for Fireblood that I truly appreciate mm -hmm. is she tackles a lot of heavy subjects yeah. and she does it really well. Mm -hmm. So like I said, book 10 is very dark and it opens up very dark. Um, and you know, cause it's, it's the villain and he's going to get his happy ending. Right. Yeah. And so you kind of question how that's going to go on. And Ruby's talked about how she's used sensitivity readers and beta mm -hmm. readers like ad nauseum. And this book took her a long time to come out because she wanted to work on it so much. Or like book two opens up with, um, a lot of dubious consent and yeah. honestly non-consent um, between the hero and heroine. And I struggled with that, but I think that it was still handled very well. And I think Ruby did a really good job of like developing mm -hmm. the story beyond that. She does have really good practice with that. Yeah. Because I feel like after reading how she redeemed Beck in Ice, Ice yeah. Planet, like I would trust her to do a, a worse Beck. Yes. Kind of a thing. I feel like with my thing number two is probably my least favorite too so far major spoiler if you don't want to know this and spoiler alert spoiler, spoiler alert spoiler alert so it really bugs me and maybe this is just the choice she made because of the character's motivation i hate so much that she didn't let the dragon kill tate yeah just like just like for all of her oh if like if you guys don't remember what happened is the the heroine uh essentially sells herself to get food at a couple of points and she sells herself to like the saddest sadist yeah, sells herself to a sadist who like deliberately enjoys hurting her yeah. and it's just a, a terrible thing she has to go through and it's really heavy and she's got a lot of baggage from it and as soon as uh drac finds out about this he like wants to go and kill him and kill her in front of her and i'm like good go do it but she convinces him not to because you know all human lives matter and i'm like if he's not doing this to you who else do you think he's doing this to just yeah that was my least favorite. I, pr I mean, there is like the non-consent things too, but that personally was my least favorite thing. And then what a shock. He ends up like betraying them or like he ends up being a jerk at the end again. Like, just let him go. It's fine. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, I will say book four and book seven were my favorites in the series. Okay. I absolutely loved it. I liked book four a lot. Yeah. Book I four. Amy. Just so good. Mm -hmm. And I she's a romantic and Amy. she's just like, okay. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, 
And then book seven is the female dragon, which I thought it was just so interesting to read Mm because you automatically expect it to all be all male dragons and they're on an adventure the whole time. Mm -hmm. And there's like some really like heavy stuff that happens um, around everything else. So it was just it was I really enjoyed it. I feel like four is my favorite too. I did like one. There were again a couple nitpicky things I had with it. I think it opened up the series very strongly. It did. And that's really what it needed to do. Yeah. More so than how I felt about Claudia or her choices sometimes. But it wasn't terrible. Yeah. And, like, I, I have to be, like, you know, I can be very rational because I'm over here in my nice safe space and eating my Cheetos and my water <laughs> and I don't have to struggle to survive and do these things. And I probably would not make very rational choices either. So I got to let it go. To round this all up, I will say that if you are te- uh, tempted by Ruby Dixon but you haven't gone into it because you're intimidated by how many books there are, I think Fireblood is the perf- perfect place mm-hmm. to start because there are only 10 books. It's a completed series. And there's a lot of stuff that's introduced that will help the other series make sense. Yeah. Like it's, I said, the rest. And it's still contained. Like, even if you only read the dragon one, it's fine. You're not yeah. missing anything. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, do the extra credit and read the Ice Planet. But if you only like All dragons. All 47 books. If you're somebody else who hates snow, like, <laughs> yeah, then stick with the dragons. Yeah. And I really do like the plots. I love the series. I haven't actually had a problem with the characters. I was reading oh. some reviews for the books, and a lot of them are like, oh, she's too stupid to, to live. But again, she, I, she's living in an apocalypse. Like, yeah. give her a break. It's fine. And the apocalypse is an interesting thing. Yeah. But long story short, out of all of this, I think that Fireblood Dragons is right now the epitome of Dragon Shifter. Oh, okay. Look at you. Unless I haven't read a really good fantasy Dragon Shifter. That's true. So... You know? Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like all the dragon shifters, it's it's some sort of contemporary. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not seeing anybody in the pub or the tavern in medieval I, England shift into a dragon. And I read one and it just wasn't. Lady. It wasn't it. Yeah. So if you guys have any recommendations or anything you want to add to the conversation, email us at RagingRomantics at Noble.org. And I hope you really appreciated this excuse to talk about Ruby Dixon for <laughs> long, an hour Long, rambly episode we that we did not lot. expect to be it's long. Um, don't forget to fill out the surveys. Mm-hmm. The links will be there. We really appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for an amazing end to 2022 and a bright start to 2023. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> I couldn't say what I was blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, Jackie, that was beautiful. Thank you. Do you want to talk at all about what we're doing next time? We are looking at polyamory. <gasps> I know. Ooh, we're we're going go. there. Base. I am really excited by this. Yeah. Basically, yeah. because of my background in anthropology, I had a brain, like, light bulb one day and i was like wait we talked about polyandry and like the anthropological Mm -hmm. causes behind polyandry and then like what happened with polygamy Mm -hmm. so i really want to talk about that and how it applies to contemporary romance so yeah cool yeah i get to anthropology nerd out on you can't wait i know all right well on that note jen what do we always say bye guys happy new year It's a fish. Don't do a Wendigo or like. (laughs) Maybe I canceled this time. God. There's no such thing as cancel culture. There isn't. I know. I'm just like, God, what is wrong with us? I don't know. Why is this so hard today? It's been a whole year since we talked. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Where are we going with this? I don't remember.